book of the Revelation to St. John comes to the church as scripture. We don't read it just as an interesting ancient text. It comes to us with authority. It's revelation. It reveals how things really are and will be and have been. Other texts create their own realities and describe worlds that are very engaging, but when we put down pride and prejudice, we leave our imaginative time in Pemberley and return to our ordinary world where we look out the window and see a familiar scene and check the weather. But when we put down the revelation to St. John, we're not supposed to say, well, now back to the real world. We're supposed to say, somewhere in there, in or behind those stories of four horsemen of the apocalypse freely roaming the earth, is a revelation of things that are more real than my familiar common sense experience of reality. In the end, what do we trust? Do we trust our experience of reality or do we trust scripture? So it's worthwhile taking a couple of minutes to recognize that what we take to be our reality is highly constructed. This is true simply physiologically and neurologically. About a third of our brain cortex deals with uh, how to make sense of what it sees. We open our eyes and about 140 million neurons go to work receiving uh, not just an image of how the world is, but going through a process of constructing a reality. We all know the optical illusions at places like the Science Center, where what we look at is a totally weird, lopsided, slanted room, but what we see is a lovely rectangular room because our brain makes things look like what our brains think they ought to look like. We think that we inhabit a space where we can move in any direction and a time uh, which only moves forward, but one of Einstein's discoveries that has been verified again and again experimentally over the past century is that space and time are actually one continuum, and as Einstein said, past, present, and future are a persistent illusion. What our brains do for us is to create a usable interface with reality. It's like our smartphones that give us screens with icons to work with, because the actual realities of smartphones with their circuits and diodes and chips are totally beyond our comprehension and control. So what our brains do for us is to show us a usable interface. And it filters out things that get in the way or don't make sense or that we just shouldn't have to worry about. And as a result, our personalities are shaped by filtered perceptions and by persistent irrational beliefs and by false memories. I have a daughter who doesn't always do a very good job of filtering out extraneous information. And that's considered a problem called borderline attention deficit. When she had to write examinations in school, she paid as much attention to a ticking clock or a crinkling Kleenex or a spider spinning a web as she did to the test in front of her because her brain didn't filter out those things the way it's supposed to do. So that was a problem for tests. Although it's a great thing for driving a car because she sees everything that's going on around her and never loses her way and never gets into accidents. My other daughter and I uh, recently, this week, watched an old episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, <laughs> where Buffy gets infected by a demon and becomes telepathic, and suddenly she can hear all the hurt and unhappiness and anxiety of everyone around her, and it just about drives her crazy. 
And the lesson is that if you actually had to be in touch with all the terrible realities of human existence, you'd go crazy. If right now we had to have an I-thou relationship with everyone in this room and enter into their worries and disappointments and longings, how long would we last? So our brains protect us from noticing most other people too much or entering sympathetically into their realities. All that means that the book of the Revelation is dangerous. It functions as something like an invitation to insanity because it puts us in touch with all of that pain and it gives us the revelation of what actually is once we've removed all those beneficial self-deceptions that we construct for ourselves. It shows us the world when our ego drops out of the equation. It opens up a scroll that we try to keep rolled up so that we won't be overwhelmed by the truth of things. And foreboding comes over us as the lamb undoes the seals on the scroll that have been put there for our protection. As the lamb who is Jesus Christ breaks the seals one by one, reality begins to confront us. The lamb breaks a seal and we see a rider on a fiery red horse who receives a sword and has the power to take peace from the earth. Here is the reality of war. Don't let anyone tell you that the book of Revelation gives predictions of things that will happen at some future date. The book of Revelation doesn't predict, it reveals. This is how things are now. Within the past year, there have been tens of thousands of deaths from war in Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, Mexico, thinking of the drug war, Myanmar, Libya, Somalia, South Sudan, Central African Republic, Yemen, Darfur, Kashmir, Ukraine, Congo, Peru, dozens of other places. Almost half a billion people died in Syria alone over the past six years. The United States, Canada, and every European country except Switzerland are involved in wars. In fact, if you count the countries of the world that are not involved in wars, you can't get past about 10. Apart from Switzerland, they include Mauritius, Japan, Uruguay, and Vietnam. Do we see the red horse? Maybe some of us do if war has touched our lives, but otherwise, St. John the Divine shows the red horse to us. The lamb breaks another seal and we see a rider on a black horse weighing out bits of wheat and selling them at outrageous prices, and this shows us the face of famine. In the modern theory of international aid, famine defines a specific situation verified by three criteria, and by that definition, 20 million people are experiencing famine right now in Somalia, South Sudan, Nigeria, and Yemen. According to the United Nations, this sweeping band of famine is the worst global em emergency since World War II. Another 50 million people in the world need emergency food. Do we see the black horse? We eat well, so maybe not, or maybe some of us have experienced the ravages of famine firsthand, but if we haven't, St. John the Divine shows us the black horse. The lamb breaks another seal, and we see a rider on a pale green horse, and the text names this rider as death. The prayer book says that in the midst of life, we are in death. The fact is that each second, we ourselves and everyone we love is at risk of death. And sometimes we realize that. If you lived in Hawaii a couple of weeks ago, you got a message from the government promising imminent obliteration. But we could hardly live out a day if we continually had to bear the burden of that knowledge, so we repress it. The fact is, 100 people in the world die every minute. 
the time we have been here, a thousand people are dead. They die of heart disease, stroke, lower respiratory infections, cancer, diabetes, dementia, accidents, murder, suicide. The people who die are people from families and have friends that love them. Many are children, many suffer. And it would drive us crazy to have to think about that all the time, so we don't, though maybe some of us have been recently touched by death. Otherwise, St. John the Divine shows us the pale green horse. The Lamb opens another seal, and St. John sees the souls of those who are persecuted for the word of God, and they are all under the altar of God. There's an organization called Open Doors, which verifies the persecution of Christians. And they say that over 1,200 Christians died last year as a result of religious persecution. On Palm Sunday last year, two Coptic churches in Egypt were bombed by terrorists and 44 Christians died. So many Christians have been killed by ISIS that the US Department of State has described those murders as part of a genocide. And the number 1,200 is a highly conservative one. That's the number of individuals whose deaths have been independently verified and specifically factually attributed to persecution. If we included whole populations that per are persecuted partly because they identify as Christians, there would be thousands more. Do we recognize the mortal dangers of being a Christian? Maybe not so much in Canada, though maybe some in this room have been touched by religious persecution. Otherwise, St. John the Divine shows us the souls under God's altar. The Lamb opens another seal on the scroll, and all the populations of the world, slave and free, the mighty and rich and everyone else, try to hide from the wrath of God. We don't recognize that because we try not to acknowledge consciously that we deserve God's anger, though maybe some of us do. Yes, we join regularly in reading out a general confession, but since it's a general confession, it just tells us that we're no worse than anyone else. And when it comes down to the particulars of practice, the sins we're willing to acknowledge when they do happen tend to be very small sins, like maybe letting a cuss word slip out. But if we do something that really hurts someone else cruelly, we usually justify it. We say it wasn't really my fault, or I didn't have a choice, or I had to tell the truth, or other people are just too sensitive, or they deserved it or it wasn't really that big a deal. The bigger the sin, the more we excuse ourselves because part of what allows most of us to survive from day to day is the belief that really, all things considered, I'm a pretty good person. But when the Lamb opens the sixth seal, we discover the reality that we've tried to leech out of our reading of Scripture and out of our understanding of the Gospel, that reali the reality that we deserve God's righteous anger. But there's one more reality, and it's actually the first one in today's text, but I left it out till now. The first horseman of the apocalypse rides on a white charger and wears a crown and goes out to conquer. And there's a lot of dispute as to who this is, but St. Irenaeus in the second century said, this is Christ himself. Or others say that it's the Holy Spirit because Christ has ascended. Either way, God has gone out ahead of war and famine and death and persecution and fear of the wrath of God. And the Spirit of Christ has spread the gospel all over the face of the earth. And Christ has died for the salvation of the world. And God is assured of victory. 
Perhaps strangely, we don't allow ourselves to see this either. We don't allow ourselves to see God personally at work among us. Sometimes we even say that Christ has no hands to serve but ours, no eyes to see compassionately but ours, no feet to walk to give assistance but ours, and pretty soon we think that Christ depends on us, but no, it's we who depend upon Christ. And St. John sees the conqueror riding to victory ahead of us if this interpretation is right. Christ loves us and is merciful, and I'm sure Christ recognizes that we need our illusions just to survive the day, but he also gives us this revelation of how things really are, a world where pain and terrors are all around us, but a world where Christ has ridden ahead in victory. Thanks be to God.